The revolution is here. A movement of people free to live, work, and choose. We won't tell you what to think. We just demand that you think for yourself. This is Kibbe on Liberty. Okay, we're at uh, Freedom Fest in Las Vegas, and uh, some of my favorite people, the, the Harmon Brothers, at least two of, of the many Harmon Brothers. <laughs> um, and I want to talk a lot about uh, content creation and the movie projects that you guys are working on in this very disruptive model, but, but I, I want to premise it with uh, something that I've been talking about as an economist for at least a decade, because I've been, I've been predicting, predicting that, that technology and the democratization of information and knowledge and now financing is is breaking down all of these top-down institutions that um, used to tell us what to think and what to do and and you really didn't have much choice in that process and I've been waiting for um, two paradigms to to fit that mold and I I think big media is already it's already happened Um, I think um, almost every business structure it's happened but two places where I don't see it as much is politics and Hollywood, the movie industrial complex. And you guys have hopefully some some uplifting answers as how we might solve this. But why don't we start with you, Jordan? Did I get it right? Yeah, you got it right. Yeah, I'm awesome. Yeah. <laughs> there are there are we're like rabbits. There's a lot of us hard yeah. brothers. So yeah. <laughs> I'll start with you. Why don't you just introduce yourself? Because I know a lot about what you guys do, but I, I, I think people would like to know. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm one of the co-founders of Angel Studios and uh, the president. And our entire mission is to tell stories that amplify light. Um, you know, a, a little bit of backstory into that as to why we got into this is us four brothers, Neil, Jeff, Daniel, and I, we um, we looked at the landscape back in you know 2010, 2012, 2013, and started realizing it's very quickly getting to a point where we aren't able to consume content with our kids mm-hmm. or even ourselves comfortably. Where we're just like, you know, this is this is not the direction we want we want things to go. And so that's what kind of spurred the, you know, this this effort. We were about as far away from Hollywood in terms of where we come from. We're we're potato farmers from Burley, Idaho. And so um, if you would have told me as a kid, you guys are gonna be Helping great TV series and running studio, I just I would never have believed you. But um, that's kind of a little bit of background. Daniel, uh, I'm Daniel Harmon. I am creator of Tuttle Twins TV show. I'm also a co-founder of of Angel Studios, but I don't work there day to day, so um, I don't really talk about that much. But yeah, I'm just taking the award-winning and um, best-selling book series written by Connor Boyack and Elijah Stanfield that's sold over four million copies. And turning that into um, a really fun cartoon for kids to learn about the principles of freedom and economics. So, and you're you're at uh, Harmon Brothers as well, the, yes. the advertising firm. Yeah, I'm a consultant and advisor at Harmon Brothers, um, but most of my time is devoted to the creation of okay. a cartoon because it turns okay. out that's hard work. Yeah, oh, <laughs> it takes I, more I, time than expected. I can't, I can't even imagine <laughs> being, being a showrunner for that. But yeah. uh, uh, we'll, we'll get into that more. But. Uh, um, I want to talk about the model itself, and and I, I learned this from from talking to you guys and, and others of your uh, your brothers. Why, you know, for instance, why is it that it's so darn expensive to make a movie in Hollywood? And I think I think that in some ways corrupts the model of what we're allowed to see and not allowed to see because 
the barriers to entry are just insanely high in the millions and millions of dollars. Yeah, that's a, that is an awesome question. And, and we were shocked when we started understanding the ins and outs of how Hollywood works. Um, for context, um, you know, we consistently see big production budgets going up to 100, 150, 200, now even $250 million. And, and there's this big question mark is wh- why is it costing so much? And, uh, and, and what is the mechanism that would cause them to ever make content that maybe reflects my values, right? And, and it's kind of a chicken and egg situation. He who has the gold makes the rules, right? And, and so as we started digging into, when we launched um, our first original series, Dry Bar, that's blown up and now gets you know billions of views over the, its lifespan. And then we launched um, our first original series called The Chosen. Um, and as we did that, we discovered something very, very interesting in that every distributor in Hollywood, every studio, when they get a dollar that comes in, they're gonna take a 30% distribution fee right off the top, right? And then they're gonna take their distribution costs out, which is a little bit ironic when you consider the fact that they just took a distribution fee and now they're taking distribution costs. Then they'll have their marketing costs and then they have an ad overhead fee of 15% for managing your marketing. And then they have their production costs they recoup. And if there's anything left over, there might be a back end for for creators. Um, We actually had uh, one of our attorneys um, who's represented us in the past. He said that, and he had done tons of different deals in Hollywood and he said, I can count on one hand the amount of creators that I personally see and get a back end. And and that was like, what? How, I mean, we've got billions of dollars being generated in this industry. How are the creators not getting back ends? And it's because the studio is not aligned on costs. Mm-hmm. They're up and down the line. They they get their money first, and they you know they they don't care exactly what happened. I shouldn't say they don't care completely because they do want to get returning creators, but they end up in this situation where they've built an incentive structure that has misalignment between them and the creator. And as a byproduct, the creator says, "I'm never going to get a back end. It's never going to come." And so, in order for me to make money, I need to inflate my production budgets as much as I physically possibly can because that's the only time I'm gonna make money on this series or this film. And so you end up in this really weird world where episodes of The Mandalorian are costing $20 million for 30 minutes of footage. And it's like, how did that, how did it get there? And so um, we decided that we wanted to completely rethink that. And we started saying, what if, what if you treated, um, instead of every project um, that, or every series um, already having misalignment, what if you treated everyone like a tech startup? What I mean by that is if if I'm an entrepreneur and I'm going to a venture capitalist and I say, hey, I've got this brilliant idea. You're going to love it, um, but I need $100 million to get it started. And I say, whoa, what do you need $100 million for? They say, well, I don't, I don't think I'm going to make any money off of it, so I, I'm going to make money off of my seed round. Right. <laughs> no venture capitalist is going to be like, yeah, here's $100 million, right? And 80% of projects in Hollywood fail. And you end up in this really weird, weird situation. So we said, let's align us with the creator at the hip where we don't have a distribution fee. We don't you know, take out random fees up and down the line. We have our hard costs for marketing at 25%, our nine to 15% distribution actual expenses. And then we split with the creator two thirds, one third. They get two thirds, we get one third and they can pay back their original investors. And in our model, that's the crowd um, who comes in investors in those projects, which we can talk a little bit more about here in a, mi- in a minute. But it allows for them. It's been so interesting to me as we've we've discovered this model. I've had creators come in the door 
they pitch me their incredible idea. I say, okay, cool. How much do you need for that series? And they'll go, I probably need like $25 million. I'm like, okay. And then I'll walk through our presentation. And I get to the end and, and, I'm, and I literally had creators text me afterwards or reach out to me afterwards. It's like, I was reevaluating my production budget. So I think I can do it for eight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, oh my goodness, it just dropped into a third. That's amazing. Yeah. And it's because they realize here's a world where we're actually going to get paid if this is successful. So it's kind of like it, it sounds like um, for reasons that I still don't fully understand, Hollywood is kind of a cartel where a very <laughs> small number of decision makers control everything and they get fat and happy. Um, but it's just a huge barrier to entry for, for creative types that have a beautiful idea. Maybe they're, maybe they're not finance guys that are going to figure out ever how to come up with a $25 million budget. So all the good stuff gets left on the table or, or it never even gets thought about in the first place. Um, to me, this is like radically democratic in a sense that oh yeah, yes. the, the same way I think about what's happened to music, like there's upsides and downsides to, to what technology has done to music distribution, but it also means that my bizarre taste in music are served. That's exactly and right. the bands that create my bizarre taste in music um, thrive in a way that they just they just wouldn't have existed right. before that. Yeah. So it's kind of a creative disruption thing, um, and I, you know I, I call it the movie industrial complex. But I would also talk about the music industrial complex, where some guy was deciding when I was a kid, some guy was deciding for me what kind of music I liked, and I didn't like it at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And I think so much of that is plays into how we were able to create. Tuttle Twins as a show. I mean, it's crowdfunded, right? Yeah. So you're not going to go to Hollywood and pitch a major executive on creating a show about freedom and economics for kids because right. it, they're not going to fund it, right? right? And so instead, we went to the crowd, um, both the people who would purchase the books and people who we felt like would be like-minded and said, would you like this kind of a series to exist? And they said yes, like a resounding yes, when we gave a kind of a proof of concept. We we developed um, a the first pilot episode into an, an animatic. So it's a series of storyboards and temporary voices and things like that. So you could watch it and see kind of how it was gonna, gonna flow. It's like one of those things you watch on a behind the scenes DVD, right? Yeah. And we put that out in front of the public and said, do you want us to make this into, um, into a series, into a season? And it was over 8,000 people that said yes and invested. In fact, there was a whole bunch of them that were saying, I don't even care if I get my money back. <laughs> I, just, I just want this thing to exist, right? Yeah. And so we to raised... Clear, as for Angel, we want them to, yes, we want them to get their money back. <laughs> we very much want them to get their money back because that's the only way we get our money back as well. But, um, but ultimately, the, uh, we were able to raise $3.7 million, which was... Um, a world record for the amount of crowdfunded money raised for a, a kid show. Mm -hmm. And we re even pa passed the, um, the Netflix, Netflix series, Wakfu. Um, and so it, it just, it's content that wouldn't exist if it weren't for that kind of a democratization of funding, uh, funding the project altogether. Yeah. So um, let's take a step back and explain where the Tuttle Twins come from yeah. because I'm friends with Connor Boyack yeah. and and I th what's interesting to me is as someone that runs a nonprofit free the people um, um, we create content and we want people to watch it yeah. because our job is to turn people on to liberty yeah um, but you're also talking about a way that Connor who also runs a, a, a libertarian free market think tank a way that he can 
crowdfund in a more business savvy way instead of sort of going to donors and begging, say, I'm never going to make any money on this. And I don't know if anyone's going to see it, but uh, I have this idea to, to educate children about liberty. Yeah. So this is this this potentially disrupts my world as well. Yeah, potentially. I mean, the way it was approached is in with a Kickstarter, for example, mm-hmm. you go and you donate to the project and you might be getting like a T-shirt back in exchange or maybe the product itself or something along those lines. In this case, you actually are investing in the project, right? So Tuttle Twins, the TV show, is a for-profit venture mm-hmm. separate from the nonprofit stuff that Connor has going on, right? Right. right. And so um, that is a little bit of the idea that it can become... A, a profitable, sustainable business to create season after season of mm-hmm. this of this kind of content, and um, that's that's how we approached it. And part of the magic of it is that when people invest, you tell them, "Listen, we're not going to pay ourselves out any profits until we've made you whole on your investment to 120 percent." Meaning, if they put 100 dollars in, they need to at least get 120 dollars back out before we pay ourselves any kind of a profit dividend. Yeah. And so that that gives a lot of reassurance about the way that we're going to be approaching um, the business of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, talk talk about talk about the team, and that this is more self interested than anything. How do you how do you produce an animated series this sophisticated? Because it, it looks beautiful. Yeah. It looks oh, thank beautiful. you. I, I appreciate that. Now, um, you you got to bring in top talent, um, and so I had. I had the opportunity to, you know, work at Harmer Brothers for years and years. I still do consult and advise there, mm-hmm. and um, got to know and worked with really great writers and really great directors, and learned a lot of those skills myself. And so, when it came to creating Tuttle Twins, it was pulling in a lot of that talent that had already kind of proven themselves on a smaller basis in the advertising field. Like if you look at um, people. Like Walt Disney, mm-hmm. like um, uh, like Pixar of kind of where they started out, like Ridley uh, Ridley and Tony Scott, I think both. Um, I think even Michael Bay. A lot of these people came and look, cut their teeth in in creating content with advertising first, yeah. before they went and applied it to film mm-hmm. filmmaking, right? And so that's kind of the path that we've followed with this. And, and so we've been able to um, recruit and bring in some really, really good uh, creative talent to have great scripts and all that. And then um, also brought in some, a producer that uh, used to work at Blue Sky Studios um, uh, that's known for Ice Age and, and um, some of that content, Peanuts movie and those. And um, she's been really great at helping us get our ducks all, all in a row and has brought in a really good producing team. And then we have a, um, an animation partner down in Columbia. Um, that is doing uh, the, the grand majority of the animation itself. It's a 2D yeah. animated yeah. Um, series. And so, yeah, it's just kind of piece by piece putting it together and figure, figuring it out. And we follow a very similar process to what we have done in creating ads in the past where every script is vetted, I don't know how many times, with, with a brain trust, with mm-hmm. people that are kind of identifying what's confusing, what's not working, what's not funny, 
what 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 is working really well and helping us refine that because we're no one's just that brilliant on the first go, right? Right. You have, <laughs> you actually have to uh, create the script and then rewrite it and then another draft and another draft and then you do the same thing when you move over to the animatic, which is where you put the storyboards together with temporary voices and things to time it out for the animation. You do that over and over and over and over again until you actually get something really good, which is kind of the Pixar process in, in, in all honesty is what, what we're following, what, what's been documented in the, in the, um, the book Creativity Inc. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. So my, my two beefs with Liberty content uh, over the last 10 years and maybe go back further, one is that the production values are kind of crappy. And two, that instead of creating an engaging product that tells a beautiful story, we want to beat people over the head with our message. And I'm going to pick on your t-shirt here because <laughs> I, I feel like your t-shirt is, is beating me over the head. I sort of, I sort of dig it, but uh, sure. Uh, why, why are you so mean to communists? <laughs> oh, um, mostly just because communism has failed in every country it's ever been tried in. But um, <laughs> no, so this is, a, this is a joke by one of the characters. So in Tuttle Twins, um, the story is driven by a grandma who immigrated from Cuba mm -hmm. as a young girl and now has these grandkids and she takes them on time traveling adventures. She has a time traveling wheelchair and she takes them on these time traveling adventures to go learn about famous figures from history and in different time periods to learn these lessons. And, and so it's kind of rooted in that and like the, the character story itself okay. is that grandma can kind of speak from a position of authority because she's seen the oppression of communism, yeah. you know, as a young yeah. girl. And um, but we do we we are all about the ideas. We're not we're not doing this along any kind of party lines. We almost never I don't think we've we're nine episodes in or 12 episodes in and we haven't ever said the word. I don't think conservative or liberal but I think we've said Republican or Democrat like once as a joke and we were right. kind of making fun of that for being too political and, yeah, yeah. and that kind of thing it is really about the ideas and the principles and we find a lot more commonality in that and a lot more people agreeing with the content when they take it based on the ideas and th thinking critically about that rather than all the all the marketing badges and all that baggage that comes with it yeah and, and so it's it's not clickbait it's yeah, it's you're trying to do something more substantial. That's right. Yeah. And, and we have employees at Angel Studios who, you know, are on all sides of, of the island and, and viewpoints. Um, and they love our model because they love that the crowd gets to dictate the content. But what was interesting to us is as we started going down the path of, you know, being the distribution partner for, for Tuttle Twins, there were some people that were like, oh, man, you know, is this going to niche us into a certain market? And, and our goal is how do you tell the principles and values in a broader sense across all of our projects so that people go, oh, that was surprising. I really enjoyed it. And, and we've been, our, our, our use cases for, you know, Tuttle Twins in particular is having employees who we know are very, you know, on left or right sides of, of the aisle, both coming to us and saying, that was really good. Yeah. You know, and that, that's, that's, I think that's what Daniel's, you know, and Johnny's goal is with that is to really ride that line really, really well and make it about the values. And I have to I have to plug our project because it's it's so um, shockingly similar to the the narrative of the Tuttle Twins. Um, we're um, competing at the Anthem Film Festival here, and we have a film called The Free Life, which is about an artist whose grandmother told him to flee Cuba when he was a teenager mm. because she said you're not going to be allowed to create here. They they will punish you for that. Um, but there's no. Um, 
I hope that there's no like politics or ideology in there. It's it's a story about about creative integrity, um, with like. It, it would be hard to, to not appreciate the fact that artists are persecuted in communist countries if you watch it with with at least a little bit of critical thinking, and that, yeah. that was sort of the goal. Um, you know, speaking of uh, of of production um, values, I want to give a shout out to the Chosen because that 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 I mean, it's a phenomenon. I'd love for you to tell people just how successful it was, but it looks beautiful. And, and it's a great story. And that, that to me is, um, that's different for our guys to make that sort of content. But tell the story, it's, a, like a, it's amazing how this thing became a phenomenon. Yeah, it's, it's honestly quite a miracle that it, that, it, that it is where it is today in so many facets. Um, uh, to give a little bit of history, I'll take a couple of steps back. Um, when we originally started Angel, which was originally called VidAngel, we had built our idea was that we would build a product that would allow parents to mute and skip any things that they didn't want their families to see. We'd build this customer base and then we would launch into original content mm-hmm. after we had this large customer base. Well, the other studios didn't love that very much and they, and they sued us uh, for, for, for multiple years. Um, and, and as we were going through that experience, it really expedited our timeline jumping into original content. And, and it was interesting is um, we actually, uh, during that time period, we had started Drybar. Drybar was doing really well and, and, it, and it kept our company alive in a lot of ways. And then um, Matthew Faraci sent us this, you know, we, we both know, sent us the uh, Jeffrey this clip, this, this short film called The Shepherd. And he said, hey, you've got to watch this. You've got to look at this. This might be something in terms of, you know, what you guys are looking for in terms of an original series. And Jeff watched it and he was like, this is it. And he sent it to Neil. And, and, and he goes, Neil, I think I found the first original series that we need to do. And, uh, and Neil goes, what's it about? Before he watched it, he's like, it's a Jesus project. And Neil goes, no way on earth are we doing a Jesus project for our first original series. Like, there's just so many stereotypes that go with that and what that looks like. And, and we did, you know, we're a for-profit company. And, like, how do, we handle, how do we handle this? And Jeff says, just watch it. Just watch it. And so he watched it. They sat down. And Neil said, you know, he, he was in that moment where everything disappeared with his headphones on. And as farmers from Idaho, watching the, the, the story of the nativity of Christ from the viewpoint of the shepherd was so resonating. You know, we, we, we were the fringe of society. The farmers are already ready a little bit, the fringe of society, but we're even, we were on the fringe of the fringe of society. Uh, we worked for the farmers, you know, we didn't actually have our own farm. <laughs> um, and so the, um, and so he takes off his headphones. And he said, "This is why we created VidAngel, Angel Studios now." And uh, and Jeff said, said, "Cool. Now we got to go convince Dallas to do this with us." And that was a whole other adventure where um, you know they knew he knew about us, and and uh, and we Matthew got us connected with him, and we you know flew them out to Utah, and and we had incredible experiences where we felt like we were so aligned on so many areas, and and Dallas, and and we said we want the chosen to be the angel what House of Cards was to Netflix, right? Netflix created House of Cards. It was their first real big foray into original content. It blows it out of the water for four or five years and it allows them to build this massive customer base where they can now act as this incredible distributor. And we couldn't be happier as to how well Dallas has delivered the content. Like, you know, you said, how did it get to that production value? Dallas puts every dollar on that screen. Mm -hmm. And he is such an incredibly gifted director in his ability to pull performances and to think through 
the the writing and the backstory of what these different people could have went through to get to where they were, where they said, "I'm going to follow Jesus Christ" when He called, and so. Um, we, we couldn't be happier with them as a partner in their delivery on creative. It's been incredible. And so that that whole journey, and a matter of fact, as they were saying, you know, Dallas and Amanda were in Utah, and as they were talking to, to Jeff before they left, we, Jeff, went to them and said, okay, we're really excited to work with you. By the way, we're ch- filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. <laughs> and Dallas was like, what? And his wife, Amanda's like, well, I guess we'll figure, I don't know exactly what she said, I guess we'll figure it out. And the whole reason we did chapter one, I know what wives usually say. (laughs) (laughs) But the whole reason was just it was a protection for the 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 studio and for Angel, and uh, and we utilized those protections and and it saved the company. But anyway, during that time period, the chosen has exploded, and 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 the way that it's exploded has been very interesting because we tried to distribute the chosen in the same way that most distributors would do it, and that we did a, a subscription platform, and then we did like VOD. And we tried to give like maybe the first episode away free and then try to get people to buy the rest of the episodes. And it wasn't really taking off. It was it was like pulling teeth, getting people to watch a Jesus project. Mm-hmm. And I would we'd give a DVDs away and we'd be like, so what'd you think? And they're like, oh yeah, I'll get around to it. But then we'd have our ads and people would comment and say, I wish I could watch this, but I can't afford it. And then there'd be three replies saying, hey, DM me and I'll send you the DVDs or message me, I'll get them, this is amazing. And the ratings were coming in so spectacularly. And so we got to this point where we looked at the business model of Fortnite, Epic Games, who had just disrupted the entire gaming industry. And for those who aren't familiar with that, basically Fortnite in 2016, 2017 launches this, this game that's on par with anything else in the industry and says, it's free. And everybody goes, what? What are you doing? And, they, and they're like, we're going to monetize through other ways. And they build this massive audience. And now Fortnite generates between 4 and $6 billion a year off of this one game that Epic Games does. And we said, what if we can connect the people who are dying to watch this but can't afford it to the people who want to share it today without them ever meeting it? And so we, we created a free model. We bet our entire company on it where we said, we're going to make it free. And we're going to use what we call pay it forward, which is... You watch an episode if you love it. You pay it for it so other people can watch it. We use merchandising, um, obviously. You know, merchandising. You can buy this shirt. <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. the, the the point is, is this immediately within 24 hours of launching the complete free system, we had 4x growth and then 8x growth, and it was just day after day after day, and uh, and it was it was quite a miracle that we got to that point. But um, but we're very very excited we did. And now our goal is, you know, by 2027. Um, based on our metrics, we're hoping that we can reach over a billion people with our projects. So, like, just uh, uh, facts and numbers. How have investors in the Chosen done? Yeah. So, with the Chosen, they have a very unique situation um, in that they told their investors, "We want to make sure that we get all seven seasons of this completely funded, so that we can make sure we get through the entire story that we want to tell, and then we're going to start d- distributing profits." Um, but that being said, the project itself has been immensely successful. It's been viewed hundreds of millions of times. Um, and across all of our projects, we've generated in the new model well over $100 million in revenue. And so we're very, very excited. Um, but in their particular situation, they've, the, the fans are dying to make sure that all seven seasons are secured and that they get there. And so they, they've kind of made that commitment to them. But with most projects, you know, the goal is that it gets to a point where it can self-fund its future season as quickly as possible. And then anything in excess over that goes to distribute profits as quickly as yeah, possible. Yeah. The, the model reminds me a little bit of, um, and this might sound weird to you guys, but I'm a big deadhead. And um, when I was a community organizer years ago, 
I read a book called Radical Marketing, and one of the case studies was The Grateful Dead. And they had, and I don't know if it was purposeful, but one of, the, one of the rules of going to a Dead concert was you're allowed to come in and record the show and give it away. You just can't sell it. So they were giving away their product, and they ended up creating this, this massive, very loyal community of fans that 25 years after Jerry Garcia's death is still a very lucrative business. But it's a, it's a big business because it's a vibrant community that, that, that sort of shares content and um, um, has a sense of, of, of common belonging. And when when we engage your community on on one of our on one of our prospective projects, mm-hmm. I, I immediately got that sense that there's there's a sense that that they're protecting your brand for you, and if you abandon your brand, they're going to kick your butt. Yes, and mm-hmm. it, you know I love that you bring that up because it, it's a perfect segue into how we greenlight content, um, and you got to experience this firsthand. But the, um, one of the things that's really important to us is we believe in the wisdom of crowds. Mm-hmm. And we believe there's actually a book called The Wisdom of Crowds where they give this analogy in the book um, where this, this um, psychologist was going through and trying to prove that only the elite can make decisions for society. And he goes to this fair uh, and sees this cow on display and everybody's putting in their guesses and the closest winner, uh, closest guest gets a prize. And afterwards he asks to collect all the responses and he looks through the 900 responses and none of, nobody's even close. And he's like, this is proof that people are idiots. They can't make decisions. Like they're, they're not smart enough. Yeah. But then he looked at the data a little differently. And he took the average of all the 900 plus responses and the answer was one pound off from the cow. And the interesting part about that for us is there, we believe that it's much easier to corrupt a few than it is to corrupt a crowd, a community huge crowd that, yeah. that's so much more difficult and so we built what's called the angel jury which is anybody who's ever invested in the tunnel twins you know freelancers the chosen any one of our original content pieces they become the gatekeepers of angels original content and they're asked two questions for every project that's submitted and when a project's submitted they submit like a short film or a pilot episode or a torch we call it a torch but it's basically a proof of concept piece and they're asked, does this story amplify light? Because that's our mission is to tell stories that amplify light. And two, if this was never made into a series or a film, how would you feel? This is called the Sean Ellis test. He did it on Slack back in the early days. He, it proved Slack's success. And the three answers he gave were with Slack's customer base. If Slack didn't exist tomorrow, how would you feel? Very disappointed, somewhat disappointed, or not disappointed. He didn't care about somewhat disappointed or not disappointed. He just wanted to know how many people would be very disappointed if Slack didn't exist. 54% of people come back and say, we love this product. We'd be very disappointed. He says, we've got something special here. We need to double down. And lo and behold, it sells for $27 billion last year. And so every project has to get past right now, 40% at a minimum of people saying, I'd be very disappointed if this didn't come about, which is not an easy thing to do. 90 something percent of projects fell that step, but it's this incredible opportunity for the community to, to really safeguard the future of angel content. So Tuttle Twins is happening right now, but you're also attracting some some major investors at this point. It's it's becoming like people are noticing. Yes, matter of fact, we um, we have a round that we did with um, Gigafund, which is the one of the large investors in SpaceX and Elon Musk, and they're they're the um, the mission and the uh, really the the purpose of their fund 
is to invest in companies that they believe will transform industries for decades to come. And so we, you know, we raised uh, nearly $50 million um, and it's, it's very, very exciting to see people catch the vision of what we're trying to do and accomplish. Because like we said earlier, there's something powerful happening in terms of how entertainment's delivered, but also how it's funded. The yeah. democratization of, of that is going to allow for the content in the long run to be so much more compelling and so much more adapted to the audience who's really want it. Well, let, let's talk about creative destruction, kind of where we started this conversation, because, you know, I, I'm sure we all pick on big Hollywood and, and the, the movie industrial complex and, and the almost comical kowtowing to China when John Cena mentions the, <laughs> the T word, Taiwan. Um, they're captured, right? And uh -huh. they're, you know, it's not really their problem to fix it. It's, it's, it's your guys' problem, it's our problem, it's our problem as consumers to figure out a way to find a better product. Um, you mentioned uh, uh, the wisdom of crowds, and, and I drive my wife crazy because I'm an economist and I love to quote dead guys. Yes. <laughs> and and I, I constantly am quoting this, uh, oh this, this guy from the 1700s, Adam Ferguson, yep. who is, is credited with coming up with this idea of the wisdom of crowds. It was a Scottish Enlightenment philosopher who basically said, you know what, no matter what governments do, people figure stuff out. And you, you can try to manipulate them and you can try to direct them, but they're, they're going to figure it out for themselves. Yeah. And I feel like that's where we are here. I mean, you guys, you guys are, are facing the market right now. What, does, uh, what do the incumbents think about you? Like, are you getting blowback? Have they noticed yet? Are they coming after you? Have you lawyered up? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think, um, interestingly enough, because our models, so I, they definitely know about us. The answer is an absolute yes to that. We, we've had multiple uh, creators that we've actually brought on who had worked with them or were, were working with um, other studios, major studios. Um, and that's been one of the interesting things about our model is I originally thought, okay, this is going to be, this is the perfect model for indie, in, any indie filmmaker who can't get a chance because it's all based on your merits and what you put together and how you present and, and, how, and we help them get there and connect with their community. But ironically, a lot of the indie filmmakers who haven't quite made it in Hollywood still have this allure of Hollywood where they're like, oh man, I, I still wanna get that big Hollywood deal. And the people who, the majority of people who we've been bringing in and signing distribution deals with have been people who have done it in Hollywood. They've had massive Netflix series or you know Disney deals or Universal or whatever it is, and they realized how broken and convoluted the systems were in there, and they said, "Yeah, I'm not." The moment this became available, I, I was like, "I, I want, I want that." And so they're definitely, I think they're definitely unnoticed. But we have the advantage in that there's a book called The Innovator's Dilemma, in that because we're serving a market that they haven't served in a long, long time it sometimes takes a long time for them to realize it. Mm -hmm. And that they're, it's not on their radar, they see us, it's there, but and the reality is, is they're, not, they're not really contemplating the full magnitude of, of what's approaching their doorstep. And that's a pretty common consensus when you look at different industries that have been disrupted. If you went and talked to anybody who was in the incumbents, they would have said, we, maybe in retrospect, they'd say, yeah, we knew, right? right. But the reality is, is they didn't really know and didn't really contemplate the full magnitude of it. And so we're very excited about where we're positioned. And, you know, across all of our projects, we've passed well over 100 million viewers. And so we, we think that um, uh, it's, we're just getting started. 
Um, but that being said, um, you know, we we don't view what they're doing because they're all in such a different business model with their subscription models and they're all in a kind of a subscription bloodbath. And mm-hmm. we're kind of enjoying this blue ocean of this free model where we're innovating in a whole new way. Yeah. So they're they're not really competitors in a sense. It, 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 I, I have. Yeah, I mean, I shouldn't say they're not competitors because then they'd be like, "What? You were totally." But and I don't, I, I don't wake up in the morning going, "What's Netflix or Disney yeah, or them going to do?" That's it's not even not on my, on it's not even on our mind. Yeah, yeah, it's just all about how do we serve our customer. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so let's, uh, if people want to find the Tuttle Twins, or if they want to find uh, Angel Studios, or if they want to become investors, why don't why don't we start with you? But tell us, yeah. tell us where they go. TuttleTwins.tv is where you can go to watch the show for free. And we have the same models that chosen. You can pay it forward to help make it possible to create more episodes and more seasons in the future, which is uh, fantastic. And in fact, people get an opportunity to own digital frames of the show if they want to, um, which is which is kind of cool. But um, yeah, so that, that's Tuttle Twins. Yeah, and then with Angel, you can go to angel.com. You'll see on the top there's you know uh, the watch page, which will show all of our different series and films we've got. Obviously, Drybar, which has been uh, massively successful, and then The Chosen, which you know, uh, season one and two are out, and season three is currently in production um, and coming out. Uh, we don't have official date, but you know, later this year. And then um, we have a series called The Right and the Dance that's coming out uh, later this year. And then in December, another kids series called The Wing Feather Saga, which is another incredible uh, selling uh, book series that um, my kids absolutely love and adore. And so um, we're very excited. It, 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 what you see today is about five percent of what you'll of what angel's doing in the background yeah and, it, and it's very exciting you know one thing we didn't talk about because because i want to tell people where they can buy this fabulous t-shirt but <laughs> but part of part of this uh, going back to the grateful dead part of the sense of community for your products and your investors is they, they they buy a lot of merch too yeah because they're proud to be part of something um talk about i don't know who should talk about this but talk about the merch and tell us where we buy the shirt. So where you buy the shirt is TuttleTwins.store. <laughs> so you We're can really find creative with our names. Yeah. <laughs> did you guys did you guys brainstorm that one for a while? <laughs> um, yes. No. <laughs> um, but as far as like the merchandise goes, seventy percent of revenue for kid shows is usually earned through merchandise. So we knew that would be a major um, revenue driver for being able to get to a sustainable show for us. Mm-hmm. And if you look at a lot of the biggest properties out there, like uh, like Toy Story and like Cars, Pokemon, and um, Winnie the Pooh, and all, all these like the shows themselves become almost ads for all the revenue that's driven by um, by the merchandise itself. So. Yeah, so we have a bunch of um, shirts, and we have some comic books or graphic novels that are available of each of the episodes um, there on on the website. And uh, well, you know, sooner or later, there's plushies coming as well of the characters and action figures. But you know, one thing at a time. Yeah, I'll mm-hmm. I'll, I'll wait for the plushies. <laughs> <laughs> thank thank you guys so much. No, thanks, right. Matt. We appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for watching. If you enjoyed that show, make sure that you like and subscribe. Click the little bell so that you get notifications. And if you consume this via podcast, go wherever you want to go. We're everywhere. Kibbe on Liberty, the revolution starts now.